After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Welcome to Mind Rolling, and I'm Raghu Marcus with my good friend, Mr. David Silver. Hi, David. Good day to all of you. Another day, another podcast. Mm -hmm. um, not really, but uh, we've been uh, hanging out together here. I think we've mentioned before that uh, we live in different towns, so we get together once in a while and we do a bunch of podcasts. Sometimes we do them uh, remotely. Sometimes we do them um, on site at various locations around the planet. Well, we did one anyhow. <laughs> we, you know, it'd be fun. I'd like to go to India. Yeah. And uh, and do one there or uh, Morocco. Yeah. And and do uh, one with the Jujuko. Well, that's so. all dependent upon whether our our listeners use Amazon. The Amazon banner on the Mind Rolling Podcast website, right? And buy all the things that you buy um, through that, because it won't hurt you. You'll still get the object. It won't have Mind Rolling written on it. It's pure, and um, it helps us. Maybe not go to India, but it helps us buy pencils. It could, if we could get to Detroit <laughs> at the very least, it would. Well, we don't want to. Well, let's not, not speak. We, we have several fans in Detroit. Okay, so Poughkeepsie? I don't know no. where we'll get us. But uh, no. it would be great, folks, uh, to uh, continue. I mean, we're already seeing some of you out there uh, going through that portal, uh, or at least telling us about it. We haven't seen Amazon because they take a while. But um, we appreciate your support through Amazon, through Audible. Uh, you can go to audible.com. Go to uh, mindrollingpodcast.com and just hit the Audible uh, banner, and uh, that will take you to get yourself a free book and subscription. Uh, then, you know, you pay for the subscription, but you get one month free with a free book. And we get, uh, for everybody who signs up, we get them, uh, they kick us back $15. So it's a. It seems a lot to me because some of the audiobooks are hardly that. Right. Well, they're hoping people will stick around, you know, on a monthly basis for I don't know what they charge, but uh, right. maybe around ten bucks or something, and be able to download any book they want. You know, what's a good book on Audible that people can get right now? Well, um, certainly, you know, if you go, if this is your bent, you go to the spirituality um, department there. There are dozens of them of every stripe. My preference is for books that are read by the people who wrote them, but that's not always possible. But certainly Pema Chodron, who we've spoken of before, the, the great um, Buddhist writer. And, and, you know, for those of you who don't know her, it's not particularly esoteric stuff. It's really, really helpful. has been to me enormously, and I'm much of a skeptic when it comes to self help because you know if it's self-help why you're reading a book but it, it it she is great and i noticed that she reads all of her own stuff in there mm. well i think that uh if you're not into spirituality they have plenty of wonderful novels that you can take to the beach and instead of getting sand in your book you just have your lovely smartphone or other mobile device and and you know you can listen to it which is uh 
that's a great thing, especially for traveling. So audible.com, take advantage of that. Or just uh, we have a donate button and a link and any anything you can do to help help us uh, continue to do these podcasts. And, you know, we would love to actually travel a little bit and uh, talk to people in different parts of the world. That would be great. That's something we'd like to do. Uh, so uh, thanks for the support, and please continue. Uh, today, David's going to give a, uh, a long talk about uh, self-help and how he <laughs> <laughs> needs it and has been helped uh, you, you say self-help why would it's just the name of a you know it's a category it's not you've read uh, you know a gazillion books that have helped you out i have but i'm not you know it's different for me because i i like to read books that challenge you know your consciousness and i'm not really you know it, it isn't my line of, of attack as it were to to be a better person <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I'm, obviously, I'm. You know, you go to the self-help section in what remains of American bookstores, and um, you see a wide variety of stuff. Some of it is 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 about how to make money. Some of it is how to have good relationships, uh, but most of them are, you know, very helpful to somebody somewhere or lots of people about getting out of the um, the rut, and certainly out of getting out of the um, the, uh, the the bad bad thing of lacking self-worth because my first real spiritual teacher was um, a woman called Hilda Charlton in New York who was an amazing being and one of her you know she was very gentle and everything but one of the things that would make her crazy angry was when people would say things in the meetings that denoted that they didn't like themselves and she said that lack of self-worth was not humility you Mm. know very Mm -hmm. interesting distinction that one has to be humble in this world, but to put yourself down and say, I can't do this. I'm not made for that kind of thing. I can't meditate. I can't do yoga. And what's more, I'm basically a a miserable piece of crap. She got very crazed about that and said, stop that. That's the first step. The first step in learning anything is to not put yourself down because she articulated it as being blasphemous, almost. She didn't use that word. But, you know, her... her, um, sense of of divinity if you like of um was that everybody has an equal part of it and that if you put yourself down you're actually putting down the whole thing you're saying well it's not true some people are born with great um inspirational ideas and sense of life and other people aren't and she felt that that was the first step in um, making yourself Mm. feel better yeah well the judgments that you put on yourself you're doing that with everything. You're looking out at the world, and every person that comes along, there is a judgment being thrown out to them. And, uh, and the more you do that, then the more you're doing it to yourself. I'm not as good as that. Per- Here's, you know, I'm in a certain career, and uh, I'm looking out at other people and seeing that they are far uh, more accomplished than I am. And uh, it's it's a way you know, to continually put yourself into a, a little bag that you can't get out of. And um, it, it, it becomes a habit. And those habits uh, are the things that keep us from being sane day to day. I mean, they really do. Uh, t- tell me more about, I mean, you were, you were fairly close to this uh, teacher, Hilda Charlton, and I knew her less, but... Um, well, Hilda was a, a, a remarkably, you know, unique being. She started originally as a dancer, and um, then, by some set of circumstances, joined a troupe of dancers that went to India. And um, when she went to India, she devised various dances about the deities, Durga and Saraswati, and so on. And so, did those dances. And I saw photographs. There was no film. And the photographs are extraordinary and beautiful. And um, then she met um, Yogananda. And, really? Um, yeah. I don't know yeah. if I knew that. There are some details that I'm not, you know, I'm not sure of the details, but I know that she met Yogananda and Sai Baba and, and other 
great beings and and then came back to America. Uh, she was English actually, like me. She was born in England, but basically lived in America her whole life and started to teach. And I encountered her in uh, 1970, God, I don't know, 71, 72. And the great thing about her was that she had a, a, a puja, an altar uh, in her um, classroom, as it were. And everybody was on it, you know, and I didn't know many of these people, but that's how I b became aware. All the of saints and all the from saints. India and all that. Not only that, but also, you know, she was very eclectic and ecumenical and had, you know, um, all kinds of Christian saints and 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 so on. But that's where I learned about um, uh, Nimkarili Baba Maharaj and, I, and also um, Nityananda and all these amazing saints that mm -hmm. I'd never come across. She knew them about them all. And she was sort of a medium in a way. She, you know, she wasn't a phony type of medium. She didn't stand there with her eyes rolling up her in her head. And, but she did talk about the value of studying these great beings from other cultures. And um, I actually went, I, I I wasn't into that stuff in those days. I was into, um, well, psychedelics, as we would say, although I was already moving beyond that because I realized that they were a little bit, um, you know, there was a, a definite downside to taking them all the time. And eventually you got depressed more than ever because you, you had to keep taking them. So I went away from that. And my friend Danny, who was friendly with Ramdas, uh, said that he'd gone to Hilda's with Ramdas and would I come. I put up a bit of a fight when I heard that it was sort of like a Sunday school thing, with, you know, a very saintly woman and a lot of people being very saintly. And uh, I had no interest in that. <laughs> but he dragged me there. He was very passionate about it. And I went and then I was going there for years. And that's where I met uh, Raghu and uh, Krishnadas and so many other people. Um, that changed my way of looking at the world. And so she was very important. And to many people she was. But what I loved about her was that she needed no publicity. Nobody wrote about her. Nobody filmed her. She wasn't interested in that. She, as someone said about the great saint Ramana Maharshi, if people didn't come, it was like the squirrels didn't appear in the tree that day. You know, she just didn't care. She wasn't the size. She wasn't about crowds. She was mm -hmm. about inspiring people to look in, inside. So that's my wonderful memory of Hilda. I, um, gee, I don't want to be <laughs> too irreverent here, but my memories, of course, I remember going to the church, St. Mark's Church. St. Luke's. St. Luke's, yeah. Uh, down in the village, and, and we would get, this is after India for me, after I came back in 72. And, um, and I thought, you know, they were wonderful little convocations, uh, I would have called it uh, quite new agey uh, right now. If I mean from the, my my vantage point right now, but she had a sincerity about her that um, that cut through any of. I mean, you know, all of that kind of the, the kind of music that was going on there, and it's very much like some of the new agey kirtan chanting that goes on now. That you know how I feel about. That. I do. You're wretched about. It. I'm totally wretched. But I have to agree with you. I, I, you know, I was a fan of, uh, you know, Faces, Rod Stewart, Eric Clapton, Mick Jagger, I, you know, Dead and so on. So the music was at first impossible for me to get into. But, yeah. it, it, you know, eventually I realized that, that you know, the, there was a certain arrogance in that. That I, I was saying, well, you know, this, I've, I went past this music years ago. Sunday school music for, you know, for idiots. Anyhow. So but <laughs> I wasn't much better. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> But it, uh, she also invited people to her house, to her apartment in New York, where people actually, I remember sitting around. So I went, I was, I got to be invited a couple of times. We just started, we met each other there, as you she said. She invited you, really? She actually invited me. And um, I uh, remember watching television shows. Yeah. What we used to watch, she used to have a group come over and watch TV. Yeah. Which, you know, I thought that was cool. But then I saw so I, I went there, and uh, two different occasions, two different things happened. Once I went there, and then I got up um, to get a glass of water, and somebody said, "Oh, you just go in the kitchen and, and take a glass of water." The lights weren't on in the kitchen, so <laughs> I, I went in the kitchen. You know, this is what eight o'clock at night. I turned on the lights as I went in the kitchen. I have never in my life seen so many c 
cockroaches. They were like massed, mass of them running from one side of the kitchen on the counters to the other. I mean, I completely freaked out. <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah. Oh, bad. it was bad. God, I couldn't believe it. And then the other incident that I had, she never said a word to me. And, and my ex-wife, first wife at that time, was close to her. Mm. You know, and so there, you know, there was a connectivity, but she never said a word to me ever, except this one time. I went to her house. I was, I guess, I was going because Parvati, my first wife, was. Well, you weren't going because of the cockroaches. No, uh, it was literally only a couple of times. After the second time, that was it. And that was she looked at me, and I unfortunately had a huge zit in my. In the between my eyes, just uh, you could say third eye, right? Yes. I walked in. She looked at it. I was like, didn't want, of course, anyone to point this out. And she said in a very loud voice, "My dear, what a lovely third eye you have." (laughs) I was (laughs) mortified and embarrassed, and I never went back. That was my experience with her, and I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't. Of course, I saw her many, many times when we used to. When she, she uh, just uh, for the folks out there, uh, she introduced us, uh, many of us that had been in India with Neem Karoli Baba, with Maharaji. She introduced us to this young, uh, yeah, young at the time, uh, Brooklyn uh, housewife named Joya. Joyce Green, and uh, who had these out-of-body experiences with with a number of these, you know, saints that were no longer alive from India, and uh, and who uh, Hilda said, well, this woman knows all about your guru, and she seemed to know things that no one could know unless they were with him, and so we ended up on this um, journey of some years. Uh, of gathering around, including Ramdas and David and I and Krishnas and others, uh, f- uh, in the New York area for for a number of years uh, around this teacher. Who, um, it's funny because you want to talk about rascals. Yeah, David mentioned earlier we were just looking uh, looking at some stuff, and I was telling him about the this podcast that I had done uh, with Ramdas. Uh, picking up one of his talks, and and his talk was uh, some of it was totally about. Uh, he said the best teachers are rascals, and they take a lot of chances with their students, introducing them to their uh, to the inner demons that we all have, or you know, severe attachments, uh, whatever you know. The Buddhists call it. Uh, um, disturbing emotions um it's all the same um and uh he pointed out one that as far as he was concerned was was the greatest at that and this is before we all met this joya person um and it was trungpa rinpoche chogyam trungpa rinpoche i don't know that we've mentioned every podcast we mentioned him Every podcast. And we weren't devotees of him, but he was no. a rascal beyond words. He was just yeah. one of the greatest teachers that uh, we ever experienced. Now, in this, it, it, in, I'm just thinking of this now, in this, uh, you know, Ramdas eventually said, well, listen, do we, I mean, this guy had his students gambling, you know, gambling, uh, screwing around with each other, uh, drinking, you know, everything that you would think a spiritual life, you know, be the opposite of. And, uh, and you know, how did, and he said, who knew? Is, was he doing this as, you know, to, as, as a trip with his students to, to bring them to uh, an under, a grasp of dealing with these demons rather than just burying them, which most spiritual traditions do? You know, you do not have sex. You do not, you know, you and and people end up with, you know, these wild, crazy things happen in in many of these scenes, you know, uh, with people acting out stuff surreptitiously. Rather, with Trungpa, it was all right out front. Everyone was dealing with their shit right out front. 
which I always thought was great. And um, but you know, we didn't know was he attached to any of this? Was he attached to having sex with different women? Was he attached to drinking that bottle of sake every time he gave a lecture? Who knew? You know, it was happening. And and Ramdas ultimately said, "Listen, you do the with the teacher. You 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 put yourself out as far as you can." To, to, to absorb those teachings and then um, it's, it's their problem from then on. You know, if they're impure and they're creating karma, it's their problem. You only have to deal with your issues. So, but the, the, the point here is that, so when Ramdas and we all got with Joy, she was beyond a rascal. I mean, she, yeah, yeah. she was, uh, you know, you, you, you did know uh, we could get some wild you know fire back on this yeah, one so let's let's we shouldn't go too far into it but i would say <laughs> in my own experience that um i did believe at times you know knowingly there was karma being created out of out of that person's own desire systems um uh, and still she was a fantastic teacher oh, because yeah. she was so fierce but ramdas at one point, just couldn't handle that rascalness anymore, and he split. Now she did some really, uh, you know, intense things with him, uh, and uh, and other people who had been in India with him, Karoli Bala, so who got very, very angry to this day, who are still angry, and um, so obviously it had a, you know, I would say you'd have to go, wow, that's a pretty good effect, if this reverberated through all these years. So, the, there is. There isn't. I mean, there is an instance where you know you might go, "Wow, this this teacher, this is way too rascally." Yeah, I I think that my hit on it, my take on it, is that when you start exerting power over people and kind of subjugating them and not freeing them, except some esoteric way that maybe is good or maybe isn't, that's not. I don't think what. Ramdas is ultimately talking about, you know, that a lot of rascalianness is humor, that level, rather than you know having power over people, but just being funny and kind of unpredictable, like a great artist, you know. Um, unpredictable is a good word. Yeah, I unpredictable. Think. But but I don't yeah. think it's just being funny. No, because I mean, uh, again, no, if you go no. back to Trumpa, he was having them do these things. Yeah, it was an active thing. You know, they were. He'd have evenings, you know, where people were gambling and drinking, period. You know, they were exchanging partners. This stuff was going on, and it was being put through the lens of the Tibetan, um, you know, ancient, 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 you know, from 12th century, whatever, um, uh, sutras and uh, and developed wisdom um, around, uh, in, in his particular case, he used to talk about you have being a spiritual warrior. So you, and it was a tantric thing, meaning you grasped those demons and invited them in and cohabited with them so you could transcend them. So it, his rascalness in that area wasn't just, he had a great sense of humor and there's no doubt about that. But there's a certain tipping point. I don't know where that is. You have to sort of have your own intuition well, about somebody. Isn't it something to do with taking advantage of of people who have a weak part of their lives? You know, the, the, at that time in their lives, usually when they're young, they're they're, they're lost. And um, we've all been lost at times. But then we've all known people who were just scattered and lost. And if the wrong instructions, if the wrong directions were given to these people it could just be ruinous and that's what freaked me out i wasn't particularly weak about things so i didn't worry about that for myself but i did see people who were just gaga mm. and if you just took the wrong road with them you could ruin them for real you know and you know quite counterintuitively um timothy leary and richard alpert never were were you know cavalier about the way people took psychedelics they maintained that it had to be done in the right way and it was not a casual thing everybody went off the road the rails on that at some point but they were told we were told this is powerful stuff and if you want to use it use it in the pursuit of consciousness not just for sensory pleasure you might go through that you know getting laid or eating a lot of chocolate chip cookies or whatever it was but eventually you know i think my problem with it was the cult aspect of weak, weaker co incarnations, moments, t 
times within an incarnation where people are just subject to being guided tremendously and then losing their their judgment and all great paths you know say your own judgment must be trusted his holiness uh, dalai lama says it all the time yeah. if you don't like it leave it you know i mean give it a chance but mm. if it just feels wrong then that's your karma i mean i used to think i once worked for a guy a producer i won't mention his name who was just a vile person and um everybody agreed upon this he didn't he'd write checks to you that bounced he was rude he didn't turn up and all that and i came to the conclusion at some point that i needed that ogre in my life in order to learn something about my own myself and i did i learned don't work for people like that <laughs> you know but he had a place in my life he 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 kind of humbled me in a certain kind of way because i knew that i'd have to acquire a certain kind of strength to combat this dude and i think there's a bit of that in the spiritual world that um the reason i mentioned humor wasn't to say that it was definitive of the rascal thing but you know great teachers you know are usually not pompous that's my sense of it you know that they have a certain perspective whereby they can they can teach through their own life and through the rhythms of their speech and the sort of visceral way you get them ramdas i hate we keep mentioning ramdas we love him he's a great great man so let's not be apologetic ramdas's teachings and his lectures were just hysterically funny and self-revelatory and self-abnegating and it blew me away i'd never met in 1974 i never met anyone like that who stood on stage and then told you about his own flaws and and he did it in such a funny way because he would say i'm still there i'm not beyond this yet but i know i want to go beyond it and i'm going to do it by constant practice mm. you know yeah. uh, and that blew me away because yeah. oh god we don't have to be ashamed of these things that we subterranean things that we you know we have going back to the rascal uh, yeah. thing and um the point at which uh one can say to themselves wait this has gone beyond what i need at this point no matter if this teacher is pure or not and i, I think i don't think judgment in that case is the right word because I think judgment, you, you know, you're coming out of your mind when you're talking about judgment uh, in terms of what that word means to me. And I think um, intuitive wisdom, connecting with your own intuitive wisdom is is the place I think we all need to get to when we are uh, going through and meeting different teachers, teachings. This is not we're not talking about siddhas. We're not talking with uh, siddhas, a word which means, you know, uh, loosely, completely enlightened being, where there is absolutely no question that there is no, um, there's nothing in that being that wants anything from anybody. They are finished with, with that whole, with human desire system. So, but teachers still have that. But now it's a matter of, uh, of meeting and using some kind of in- intuition that this is what I need right now. Like you said, you know, in a simple version of meeting some producer and you knew you needed to get, I mean, this isn't a spiritual team, but it's a, there isn't life and spirituality. There's only one thing. You needed those lessons to, to be able to function in, in the world in, in a more productive manner, and you needed to go through that. I, I, I had a similar thing with, with Joya. I mean, it was like kind of a really tough scene i mean she was a tough woman you know and a very a lot of power just personal power uh and you know she scared a lot of people because she was not afraid of nothing i mean nothing at all uh and by the way folks uh this uh, she died um about a year ago uh, just a little yes less than a year ago and uh, no matter, uh, we have to say, no matter what, she did some tremendous work with uh, AIDS over the last couple of decades before she died. Um, she did a lot of great work. So uh, whatever she was or, or wasn't to many people, she and, uh, certainly uh, uh, made some great offerings. And in my own life with her, as, um, I just, I took her for who she was and she was completely instructed. I used to sit with her, and, and you know how we used to 
at times she would just do eye contact right. with you. And she would, and by the way, she was quite beautiful. And, you know, and as I said, very powerful. And, uh, you know, it was a grand, grand uh, experience of of absorbing that which is called in India Shakti of, of this woman. And she, which represents the big Shakti. There's no difference. She had a lot of it in that focal point. And uh, and I guess I had some trust in her that there was love there. I had enough trust that she had love. And so much so, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if I've told you this before, but one time we, all st- we used to live in these houses in Queens um, in different groups communally. And she, you know, and we would have gather weekly with her. She'd be on the phone with people. And we all had jobs, and we were, but we were living communally. It was quite a scene there, and this was in the mid-70s, 75, 6, 7. And um, at one point, I was living in a house, and in, in my bedroom had a large closet. I don't know how this came about, but I decided to take acid. Well, you did. You did it in the closet with her. And I her. did it in the closet with her. You never came out of that closet. <laughs> <laughs> Just doing eye contact with her. Oh, that's her. so, I mean, I couldn't imagine. It was so so I, I, I look back and then and go, geez, I must have had some trust here that this person, intuitive trust that she was okay, that she was not going to bum me out. And she did not. I mean, there was a couple of things that happened that today even I have no idea what the hell happened. Uh, but but they were not negative. They were positive. So there was some place in me. That whole thing was a positive thing. And at a certain point, it was enough. I had no more to do with her. With Ramdas, he, it was a fairly, um, shall we, not violent, but, but certainly a, a chaotic split, which was then... Um, uh, written about in Yoga Journal and other places like that. Uh, it was part of the... And he wrote a whole book. Yeah, I mean, it was part of the progress of his progress too. I mean, he wouldn't deny... I remember one great thing. I mean, when my uh, second child was born, um, her mother was very ill. Uh, in the ho- was in the hospital for six weeks and um, had to look after her uh, with the help of great friends. And Joya made a, a business of prayer for my daughter and her and my wife and every week she would call me and and um tell me she'd got other people to pray and all of that and it all worked out eventually after some really dangerous moments uh she was so passionate about this and so devoted and communicative with me about this is what we're doing that I'll, I can never forget that. And mm. for me to forget mm. that and then just put her down or something would be criminal. So, yeah, the love was there. But she took it She took it to the furthest place. You know, she's a Brooklyn woman with no no sort of frills. And it, I learned a lot. I mean, I'll never, I will not retract it. Mm. Um, it's, you know, I learned. But the rascals that um, I think Ramdas is talking about back to that question of unpredictability. It's like a great artwork, you know. I hate television shows and movies where I know what's going to happen. I just leave them. I, I'm done. It's like okay, this is a lousy film. I can see the end now, and I'm usually right. I don't want to be arrogant, but I'm usually right. And but the movies that get me are the ones where um, you know you just don't know what's going to happen, and your 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 consciousness is on an edge all the time through the experience. Uh, there's, a famous, you, there's a famous Kevin Costner movie called One Way Out, I think it's called, uh, which exists in my mind as being one of the most powerful movies I've ever seen. It's a military drama, and political drama, and you simply do not know or ever get a clue mm. what's mm. going to happen until the very mm. end, and then you're shocked. And the filmmaker, I don't remember the director, I like it. It's not just because, you know, I'm not, I hope I'm not saying too superficial thing. The unpredictability of that artwork imprinted it on my head uh the beautiful life film with russell crowe about mm. schizophrenia when yeah. you just don't know um sixth sense with bruce willis uh when uh, you don't know that dead you know until the end unless you're a far brighter person than me which is not that difficult and you know i saw the film again when i knew the ending and the film still came through for me and the same applies to music and painting. Why was Picasso and Braque and all those guys, why were they so 
incredibly influential. They just took the whole art thing and threw it in, you know, threw it in the gutter. And Picasso was an amazing realistic painter. If you look at his early stuff, he knew how to paint. And then he did mm. Guernica and, and uh, you know, blew everybody away because you just had to, you shifted with Picasso. You shifted your perceptions and therefore your sense of, of the world. I don't think that's an unprecedented thing in spiritual practice. No, I think no. I, I, you've got, yes, this is a, a extremely insightful thing, actually, I'm hearing coming from you <laughs> slightly miraculous but uh, write this down everybody write it down it will not happen again yes the the value of unpredictability that is expressed in art is just a, a tangent of where it comes from the spiritual uh, base and how this kind of uh, and how these comes these uh, teachings can come to you in unpredictable ways, and un, uh, the the um, the way that you relate with these teachings, uh, especially in the case that we're talking about the the rascal teacher, the unpredictability, and again, Trungpa certainly represents that. I mean, he did things that nobody would would do in the spiritual path and have it out there in front, and the way that you relate with them is the way in which you can progress on your. On, on this path of life. Mm. And I think that's a, a, a wonderful um, uh, image is, is taking it from, uh, I mean, these people, these geniuses, you know, that you're talking about in the art world, in the music world, in the film world, um, they, are, they are tapping into the same thing that a trumpa taps yep. into. Yep. You know, there is absolutely no difference. And um, I think it's an our part in this is to uh, recognize that intuitive wisdom part uh, and that we have and connect with that. And then we're able to, um, to take full advantage of what's being offered rather than the judgmental mind about it. Now, I do uh, appreciate what you said before. There are definitely people who have... <laughs> I can't believe this. I'm uh, going into a two appreciations I, that you get uh, from me today. This is unprecedented. I know. Uh, but I do appreciate that there are people who have uh, taken part in various teachings with various teachers in the spiritual realm over the last 40 years that we meet them and uh, in one way or another. And many of them are severely being taken advantage of real charlatans or people that have or oh, teachers yeah. that have such huge desire systems yeah. uh, and 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 are hurting these people how do you protect that i don't think there is any way to protect that i think that there is a certain karma um, uh, you have in this life that you know things like that they can happen um you know, it's the same as there's a certain karma with uh, struggling with money in one's whole life, struggling with health in one's whole life. Um, and, um, you know, we would only, if we know somebody like that, and we would try and help those people uh, to to uh, not be taken advantage. I mean, we, you know, we, you and I have seen this mm. over and over in all different uh, uh, parts of our lives from our work parts to you know the the spiritual teachers that we have met some of them not being you know completely kosher as they say so i think this uh, there's a real you know uh, the positivity of 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 encountering rascals and unpredictable teachings in itself is uh, the advantage that you get from that is 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 superb at the same time, you have to be ready to accept that, and and being ready is is being connected with your intuitive heart. Yeah, I mean, I you know learned about uh, Maharaji Nimkaroli from from uh, my friends. I wasn't there, and um, uh, from Raghu and and many others, still do. And one of the things that I take from it is that. Yeah, he was a rascal in one sense, that he was unpredictable, and he didn't do the normal things. He didn't teach people how to meditate. He didn't really teach. He just was. But the difference is that he exuded unconditional love beyond all of that. 
and 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 accompanied the um, sort of very individualistic behavior um, of a human being, uh, but you know an ascended master. But there was love there. And it it was so powerful. That Talk it, about humor and, and play. humor, yeah. Oh, I mean, he and so strong it. that it come came through to someone like me who wasn't there, and got it, uh, got it just from what you told us, and then by looking at the pictures and so on. And he is an amazing example of that. But there are many. You, I read um, various, uh, you know, about Buddhist lineages and teachers from the past, from th- hundreds and maybe thousands of years ago, where they've still retained some of the information about these people and how eccentric they were. Milarepa is a great example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't go too much into that because if you don't know that person, then look it up, but I don't want to bore you with that. But this is a very, I think... That's it's a, a great re- story, by the it way. It is though. a great story. I mean, Milarepa you get, story. Get the, yeah, Milarepa is, would be a wonderful thing. And, and, and a fine example, he had a guru named Marpa who told him, you know, unpredictability. <laughs> to the max. Yeah, so yeah. that's a, it's a fine representation of what we're sort of talking about here uh, with uh, with teachers and, and rascality and so and unpredictability and the advantages you can take with that. So, yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, but you can take it down a couple of levels. And, you know, when I was at university in England, I had a teacher who was very well known. He's still around. And... Um, he was the head of the Department of English at the University of Birmingham, very, very marvelous man called Richard Hoggart. And he taught me, and um, I thought I was doing pretty well. And we had these things called tutorials, which was either one or two people that would go into his study, which was beautiful. And um, he'd teach you one-to-one, you know? And sort of, it was stronger than a lecture. It was just amazing. You're sitting there, but you had to have your shit together. And I used to go every Friday morning, I remember, the early 60s. And one time he left a note in my uh, in my you know little mailbox saying, come on a Thursday this week and you'll be alone with me. I thought, oh, wow. And I held him in awe, you know. And so I went and um, we sat down and he said, oh, Mr. Silver, uh, what kind of wine do you like? I said, well, I don't really drink wine. He said, okay, well, let's start with some Merlot. I said, well, really? Yeah, so he, he got a bottle, and he poured a glass for me and a glass for him, and he said, cheers, and clinked glasses. I thought, this is odd. And we sat there, and he said, so do you like this uh, wine? I said, yes, it's nice. This was at 10 in the morning. <laughs> and he said, well, I'm, I'm really happy to, uh, to uh, you know, share this with you. And I thought, oh, God, he must like me. I'm great. I'm great. He said, the reason I'm doing this is because this is sort of like the Last Supper, because unless you start actually working at this university and not being a dilettante and a, and a complete wastrel, <laughs> I'm going to send you down. And send you down in England is like the worst humiliation for a university. It means that you're sent away from the college. That's it, home, back home, and you don't come back. And I looked at him with terror. He said, yeah, have another, have another glass. He said, I want to get you a little drunk because I want, I want you to remember this. You are a horrible student. And you're not brainless. I don't know how bright you are, but you're not brainless. Let this stand in your mind as a memory that if you, if you don't start working, you're out of here. Have another glass of wine and then get out. Wow. Never forgot it. it. Boy, did that set me straight because I couldn't afford to lose that university position. You know, I, in England at that time, very few people went to university. There were only 53 universities in Britain at that time. Mm-hmm. 53, as opposed to 53,000 in the United States. I was scared. And you know, it took me a while because I was a lazy swine. I started to read the books and go to his lectures and really work. And I got my degree and, and so forth. But he just devised this method to get me straight. He did it for me. He didn't do it to hurt me or to be sadistic. He knew me very well. And he knew I need to think of some way that's going to knock this guy around a little bit. I was, you know, uh, 19. And I, I, you know, never lost my love for Richard Hoggart because I, he did. Mm, he taught that's me. That's great. Yeah, yeah, true story. Um, I want to just uh, read something that'll uh, give us a little pause. Uh, it's interesting. I'll have an addiction, and then as my awareness gets stronger, 
which I'm cultivating through all of my practices, this is obviously about awareness, I notice that I still will respond to the desire and the pattern when I'm in it. And when I'm in it, I begin to feel its emptiness because part of me is in it, still making it for all I can. It's still completely grabbing. But then there's another part of me that I've been cultivating that's just sitting there and saying, lovely, isn't it? Great. I've watched that awareness starting to short-circuit the whole process, getting back earlier and earlier, until as that thing that awakens the greed starts in, it starts to thicken my consciousness. It's as if I'm I'm falling out of grace into the desire system. The minute you identify with the desire system, which is really what starts the whole sequence of greed, the minute you identify with the desire, you will feel the finiteness of the game. You've just narrowed it down. You've just imprisoned yourself again. Identification with the desire is imprisoning. And yet you have desires. And the question is how you can be involved in life with desires and still not be attached to them. How you can be fully human with all the stuff without the identification. What we're talking about is awareness. And awareness at its freest sense is this spacious, vast thing that includes everything. Isn't that great? It I really mean, that's a, that gives a real way to deal with all of this stuff that comes up and al- allows, because again, going, I want to go oh, back. That's Ron Des, by the way. Yeah, Because Rago and I did an interview with him, what is it, six years ago now? Yeah. Uh, when that came up. And that just came right out of his mouth. And, you know, you can read it 50 times and it, it, it still resonates. I think the yeah. point, though, I mean, what I really, what makes me, you know, really feel the importance uh, of of this particular thing. It's directly in relation to what we're talking about, dealing with rascality, rascal teachers, dealing with unpredictable teachings and events that come that, that, that can change your life if you are connected to that intuitive wisdom. And the to me, the only way, not the only way, I don't want to be too grand here. A way is certainly through awareness, mindfulness. I mean, that's a key thing to to keep saying, period. And uh, if if we can look at all of these defilements, which are the desire systems, the attachments, the those crazy ass thoughts that go through our head all the time the the disturbing emotions from anger to jealousy fear all of it when you can encompass that within this particular idea of awareness just you know that it is happening when these things happening happen at the same time as they are happening you can feel the emptiness of these things because they're object, they're stuff from outside that you are reacting to. And as soon as you can have that grasp, you are able to then be way more connected to that intuitive part of yourself where you can't get into trouble, period. So I just thought that that was a, that's such a great, uh, Oh, it's amazing because it, it, it relieves people of a certain horrible dilemma. Think, oh God, I'm thinking about something I shouldn't be thinking about. I'll stop thinking about it. See, then you repress it. Well, that's not going to work because it's going to come up. But what Ramdas was saying, and others have said, you know, is that you can recognize it, and then if the awareness is growing, you see, as he puts it, the um, the finiteness of it, and mm. therefore my consciousness was thickened. He says, but when you feel the finiteness, it's unsatisfying. It's sort of like what happened in the 60s to, you know, vastly famous rich rock stars who had everything and did everything. And then at a point, it just became a horror show for them. And at that point, some of them did turn to spiritual practices, but others didn't. They just knew this is not No, they became wasted and abused and a lot of them died. Died. Yeah. You know, I mean, complete unconsciousness. Yeah. And, and some of them, like, uh, you know, of course, in the earliest case was Pete Townsend. He just he just heard Mayor Baba and bang, he went there, you know. Yes, exactly. That's how we, you know, many of us heard of, 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 of uh, Mayor Baba through But, that. I mean, they were, they were 
famous rock stars. What about, you know, sort of normal people like us and everything? It's the same. I wouldn't go so far. <laughs> normal, okay. Uh, categorize okay. you that way. Carbon-based upright bipeds, <laughs> um, who we are. Uh, you know, just so we can be real straight about this. I mean, you can, you know, been doing this for a long time and still experience something. I was in an airport a few days ago and um, you know, I was kind of early for the plane and I was sitting in a place where people were passing and I, was, I didn't know, but I was underneath the departures, um, one of the big departure screens, so people were stopping. You know, and I'm looking at all these people, the parade of people, and I realized suddenly I was judging every one of them. <laughs> yeah. That person, how could she be wearing those jeans, <laughs> yeah. those jeans when she's so overweight? This yeah. one yeah. is shouting at her kid. That one, that guy, is wearing a bright blue sports jacket, which he should be incarcerated for. You know, and they're going through my head, and I, I swear to God, at one point, because it was a while here, I did, it did kick in. Just stop, will you? I just went, will you stop? It was like another person doing to me. It was myself. Would you stop judging these people? Because this ain't getting you anywhere. Or them. Yeah, or even saying stop, even going to that level, then you're reacting. But if you just notice... Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Lovely, as he said. Yeah. How lovely, you know, because the more negative you react, stop you fucking idiot. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're just perpetuating it. So, you know, yeah. lovely is. <laughs> but you can go on. I mean, you know, I quote Facebook quite a bit, but we all know why that is. And it's weird sometimes. You look at your group of people that are on your feed, and some of them are just going, you know, George Bush, I, you know, I wish he were dead. And you look at it, and you know where they're coming from. You know they disliked the actions of this president, that he started wars and people were killed and everything. But then you see the anger and everything, and there's no, there doesn't appear to be any break upon that or any further level. It's all anger. It's all yeah. resentment. It's all yeah. conflict. And, um, I, you know, that isn't going to work. It clearly has never worked for no. an individual or for a nation. Yeah, And that we yeah. should, uh, again, we... We'll have a talk about uh, this. Gets brought up in terms of people doing good in the world, social social action, and 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 we're going to do a, a podcast or two about that. And that that certainly is, yeah, is so great, relevant there. By the way, um, George Bush is not president right now. Just so you know, he's really? talking about really yeah, Obama what? did get in. Obama, where yeah. was he? <laughs> African. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, just cluing you in. I know you're from England, but you do have to get into the political <laughs> mainstream here. Um, just follow it up. Uh, well, I just didn't want to think any, anyone to think this is a dated podcast. You're listening to this podcast and they're going, what? These people, this podcast was done like, you know, six years ago. Yeah, but I mean, the, case in point, point proven. There are still people who are, you know, and I mean, they're righteous souls, but I mean, they still resent him tremendously and... I do too, in the sense that his policies were corrosive, to say the least, murderous in some cases. But who are we to judge? You know, I mean, the thing is, we can make a comment about it, but then the people who are, I really, I'm beginning to get very uh, sort of inspired by a lot, of, a lot of people much younger than myself who've moved on from that. Most people are. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, thank you. Um, but people moved on from it, and they started to to do things to change things, no matter how bad the conditions are. Doing things, the fracking thing is a great example. That um, this morning I noticed um, tons of of stuff being done in New York State because um, Governor Cuomo has been vacillating about this, and so have a lot of politicians about. Well, we need to be, uh, you know, self. Uh, we need we need to stop this business of getting oil from the Arab countries and all that. And so suddenly natural gas was a thing and then fracking. And then some people found out that it was destroying the water tables in Pennsylvania and New York. And New York has really got great water. Everybody knows that. It's just fantastic water coming, water coming from the watershed upstate. Whereas like in L.A., and due respect to people in L.A., I love them all, the water is just horrendous. So we're very proud of our water. There's hardly any of it left. There's hardly any of it left, and it tastes shitty. But in New York, the water is really good. And maybe with one filter, you can get out a lot of the stuff. And now it's endangered, and a lot of people, particularly young people, are rising up and saying, you can't do this. Mm. You've got to give us the facts. What are the facts? And we're going to protest until we're blue in the mm. face. That is not bad. That's not anger. That's just trying to, you know, ensure that um, their children and, 
will not be subject well, to having to buy water. Com- no water coming out of the tap. That's any good. But I mean, it, you saw the film when they lit the tap. Yeah, you know, right. the, yeah, it went yeah. on fire. Yeah, these are things that. Uh, but it's not yeah, that it's important. it's. It's how you do it. It's right. how you say it. It's where you're coming from. You can, you can, you know. Uh, I mean, we all should, in in one way or another, certainly uh, add something to what's going on in, in what's going on in the environment, what's going on in the culture, what's going on in the economy. Whatever we can do, we should make that offering. But whatever we do with that offering, it has to come from a place that's not going to create the opposite of what we're trying to do. And again, I, you know, let's leave that uh, for for another podcast right. because right. Well, we're at the end of this one. By what? The way. Yeah, mm-hmm. time flies, doesn't it? When you have <laughs> nothing to do, like miscreants, uh, <laughs> aspiring mind rollers that we are. Right. Uh, we have to thank. Uh, you know, we keep. We, we one day we have to try and get uh, mind rolling. Uh, mind roller Khandro Rinpoche, the Tibetan Lama, who's <laughs> is the namesake uh, that we we've taken this, and and we do say we're aspiring. And one day she speaks perfect English and is one of the greatest teachers that I've met. Yeah. And uh, we we should try and and uh, get her. We would we would have to genuflect. Uh, is that what it is? Uh, quite a bit. Yes. To, so to eradicate the guilt that you and I have over mind rolling, yes. but um, we we do the best we can. Just right so you here. know, we didn't steal it from her. What happened was we couldn't think of a name for this podcast, and Raga came up with this name, and I thought it was great, and immediately we took it. And then it was only later that we understood that there was this lineage, uh, which is actually pronounced minrolin, but is mind rolling, uh, a fantastic it's a garden in in uh, I think the monasteries in. Nepal, not even Tibet. Oh, really? I'm not sure. I may be quite wrong about that. But it's the garden of ripening and. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the next word. Ripen- you know. Ripening and awakening. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's, that's our aspiration. And uh, we want to share that with you as, as long as we have another breath. Uh, Dave, thanks for today. Thank Let's remind everyone, go to mindrollingpodcast.com and uh, you know help us out. Go through Amazon, go to Audible, uh, get uh, you know a little shekel out of the pocket into the donate button link thing there and look at our extras. Dave puts up, uh, you haven't been putting up much. Uh, the, no. I, you've <laughs> been here for, for, for what, four, five days? Nothing. I've nothing put, in five days. Put up nothing. Okay, well, give us a little something. I, I will. will I'll, I'll, I'll do something. Thank you, everybody. Thank See you. See you next time. Bye.